showtime. everyone welcome to the rosie and bill show folks you are in for a treat tonight we have with us one of the greats from hits like i'm so excited to jump to neutron dance to fire our guest tonight has sung with all of the greats and she and her sister sang their way into music history please welcome to the rosie and bill show the one and only anita pointer Anita, welcome hello. to the Hello, hello, Rosie and Bill. Hey, Glad Anita. To be here. Back to Philly. All right. Yeah. Hello. Now, shout out for Philly, right? <laughs> shout out. Yeah. Well, before we start barraging you with questions, I, first of all, I I want to say that not only did you and your sisters kind of write a soundtrack for a generation, but mm. I owe you a personal debt of gratitude because. My goodness, I don't know what I would have done without the Pointer Sisters music. My brother had a band growing up and I was singing with his band in clubs before I was even legal and I was singing Pointer Sisters songs. Oh my goodness, how wonderful. It, oh, thank you. I thank mean, you, Rosie, that's fabulous. You just have no idea the impact. <laughs> well, you probably do, but but I just want to tell you that it was such a joy and, and you, you brought so much joy and smiles to so many people and fun with dancing to your music. Thank you, and thank you. We, and we had fun too. I'm telling you, it was amazing. And when I look back on the things that we did and, and how young we were and how, just how much fun we were having all over the world, just singing and doing what we wanted to do, not making much money at the time, but we were doing what we wanted to do. <laughs> Well, you certainly sang with a lot of musical greats, as I mentioned in the intro, but right before we went on camera, you mentioned that you also performed in Philadelphia. Tell us about that. The Bijou was our first club in Philadelphia that we played, and boy, we knocked it out. We had them swinging <laughs> from the rafters. It was packed, and it was wonderful, and we just loved it. And we've been, we've been back several times to Philly. I don't can't remember the the venue, but uh, I know we've been back there many times. Love right. Philly and have friends in Philly as well. Hi, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, Anita, I, I wanted to let you know that in addition to what Rosie was talking about in terms of when she was singing your songs, I wanted to thank you as well for that for that song that I'm pretty sure you probably wrote about me. You know, the one he's so shy. <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> You're so, so welcome. I wish I had written that song, but I didn't. But it's a great song and it became our song. You know, so many things come to mind. It, it must have been such a thrill to be able to perform with your family members. Let's turn back the clock for a, a minute. When did you guys know that you wanted to sing together? I mean, music was obviously a big part of growing up for you all. Yes, it was. We sang at home. and. We stay in church. Our mom and dad were pastor and assistant pastors of the West Oakland Church of God in Oakland, California. And 
we, we grew up in that church. We grew up singing in the choir and we had the little pointer sisters back then too. <laughs> we weren't so little, but we were the, <laughs> they called us the little pointer sisters because we were young. <laughs> We've always been tall. And, but it was, you know, that was the best training I guess you could get as in the church. And uh, we never, I never had any professional training for singing. And um, we started off there doing singing at home with each other and took it to church. And from there, we took it to the world, <laughs> took it to the rest of the world. Anita, who were your musical influences growing up? Oh, God, there's so many. Stevie Wonder was one, and he was younger than me, but <laughs> he was my influence growing up. And I was so honored. I got to write a song with Stevie. Thank you. Me and Stevie and Bonnie wrote a song called Baby Bring Your Sweet Stuff Home to Me, and it's on the Pointer Sisters album on our uh, Having a Party album. It's on that album, and it's so good. And we wrote another song together called Sleeping Alone. I was just blown away when my producer told us that Stevie was in town and he wanted to meet with us to write a song together because we had written Fairy Tale, which is our very first Grammy award-winning song. And uh, we ran into him in the south of France. We were over there doing the Meet'em Festival and Stevie was there and we ran into him there and got to be we became friends. And I remember leaving, going to the hotel and he called me and saying happy birthday to me in my room. I'm like, oh God, I was about to die. <laughs> but then when we got back to the States and he called our producer and said he wanted to write with us. And me and Bonnie took off for that, to that studio as fast as we could go. I mean, as fast as we could go. And we wrote the two songs with Stevie. The, the song that we wrote, Baby Bring Your Sweet Stuff Home to Me, it won the Tokyo Music Festival Award back in the uh, 80s, I guess it was. What was that uh, like writing with Stevie Wonder? I mean, what is that process like uh, for you anyway, but then now to add him into the mix? I know, it was amazing. I, I swear, I really don't hardly remember what happened because I was so, <laughs> I was so in awe. I was so nervous. I don't know what went on. I didn't know Stevie was there and we finished that song. <laughs> you know? And other influences, we had a lot, you know, Marvin Gaye, um, Dionne Warwick, Aretha Franklin, Gladys Knight, all the Motown sound was just nuts. I just crazy and we, we couldn't play it at home. So when I get to a friend's house and get to hear Motown or the Philadelphia sound, oh, I just lose my mind. So, you know, we, that's, that were some of the influences that I had growing up. It was mostly R&B, um, some jazz. I mean, we, we really had focused in on the, the um, jazz from the past, uh, Billie Holiday and Sarah Vaughan and Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, but that was more, we, we did that more, I guess, before we recorded, before we recorded the Pointer Sisters' first album. So me and Bonnie and June went to Texas looking for our fortune, thinking we were gonna be stars because this guy that we were with was from Texas and he knew, he said, I know everybody and they want, uh, they want, uh, I want you to come and go to Texas and I'm gonna make you guys big in Texas. And we got there and he turned out to be a real jerk. And we got stranded, me and Bonnie and June were in, he was from this town. And instead of him leaving, from the apartment we had rented, he made us get out. 
And we were like, we don't know anybody in this town. But we had just met a girl at the club the night before and she let us stay at her house. And we stayed there until David, we called David Rubinson. Bonnie just happened to have a card from David Rubinson in her purse. We had called mother and everybody, every friend I knew to get help us get home. And mother said, I'll get my baby home June, but you and Bonnie, you guys can make your own way home. <laughs> so she didn't have the money, you know, she really didn't. I called David and he said, I told him, I said, I've never met you, but I love you. And I would hope you'll help us get home. And we'll, if you get us back home, we'll sing for you to, for the rest of our lives. <laughs> But he sent me a ticket. I had never seen this man. He had seen Bonnie and June at his office. He had an office right across from Fillmore West. Anita, that, that sounds like that's one of those stories that, that leads me to think, you know, everything happens for a reason. And that sounds like that's that kind of story right there. That's so true. Nothing beats a failure but a try. <laughs> those are some lyrics in my song. Yeah. My song, Live Before You Die, was one of my songs that was nominated for a Grammy. It didn't win, but it was nominated. And that, oh my God, that just made me so happy. I couldn't believe that it was even nominated after Fairy Tale won the Grammy for what, 74 and then 75. Live Before You Die was a song that I wrote with a friend of mine. And uh, it was nominated for a Grammy too, another country song. Mm -hmm. You know, and we were the first black female group to ever perform at the Grand Ole Opry. Wow. And I guess, yeah, first, very first. And they weren't too happy about it. Most of the people weren't. <laughs> Most of the people were. <laughs> there were a few that were just kind of, I don't know what they were thinking of. I don't know what, why they uh, acted the way they did. But uh, we came out on stage and somebody stood up in the back of the hall and hollered, Hot damn, them gals is black. You <laughs> sure? I swear, that's exactly what he said. Them gals is black. And, and the, the producers on the show told, go on, do, do your song, do your song. And we did our song. And the audience gave us a standing ovation. And they had us, we had to sing the song like three times because they kept saying, sing it again, sing it again. <laughs> we did just what they told us to do. We sang it again. <laughs> But that was some experience, the Grand Ole Opry. And then to get a Grammy for the song, holy God, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I never got to meet, and also have it recorded by uh, Elvis Presley, who I never got to meet. And I really wish I could have met him. I was so honored that he recorded my, my song. You know, those lyrics, he said in his show, I have a tape of him doing a live show in Vegas. And he says, this song is the story of my life. And I mean, it's a real story of my life, you know. I wrote the song about an experience that I had with a no good cheating guy. <laughs> but, well, that makes for the perfect country song. I was just gonna say. It does, it does. <laughs> it does make the perfect country song. <laughs> and, and Anita, you had another big hit too, your duet with Earl Thomas Conley a year or two after that as well, right? Yes, Earl Thomas was so wonderful. We had a great time together. I, came to, I went to Nashville and we did all the TV shows and we also were presenters at the Country Music Awards. And uh, it was just a fabulous experience. He was a really great guy and very talented and very loving and kind. And we just had a great time. I was really glad to work with him. And I'm so sorry he's passed away, but I really had a great time with Earl.
one thing that whether it's on the country charts, the R&B charts, the pop charts, your music, just like many of the influences that you mentioned earlier, Anita, your music has has resonated with so many people. Rosie mentioned earlier about how it provided part of the soundtrack of her life. What is it about your music that you think has enabled it to resonate with so many people for so many years? I guess it was just so good. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> we, were, we, we intended to bring fun to our music, being a happiness to our music. And I think we accomplished that because people really, I've heard more, so many say they grew up to our music and now they're, they, before I stopped going on the road, they would bring their grandkids to our shows, people that had been there, you know, in the early days. So I, I was just glad that we were able to encourage a lot of people and um, they could pass it on to their children, our music. Well, and there's there's one other aspect of your music too, Anita, and I've got a little bit of a prop here. This is oh, the soundtrack album yeah. from Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. One of my favorite movies of all time. And uh -huh. one of my favorite videos of all time, which I'll come back to, but I'm curious, your videos, and you just talked about your music was fun, it was upbeat, it was positive. And mm -hmm. I think the videos really helped get that out even more visually to, to anyone yes, who saw your videos. So I'm curious, what role do you think those videos had in, you know, providing any additional, you know, uh, support for your music or helping your music get out there? H how important were those videos to what you were doing at the time? Tremendously important. We were like the front of the first uh, black female groups to ever have videos on MTV. And when that came out, when I remember people talking about this channel that was going to play videos and and these new little discs that are gonna be coming out. and But uh, we were one of the first to get on MTV and that was a real, real treat. It, it made us such a humongous difference. And, uh, and the kids that were listening to music and when they see that visual, they really, it really made a difference. It just made such a difference. Did you ever think when you were singing in church, did you ever envision the success that you and your sisters got to enjoy as the Pointer Sisters? I envisioned it. I dreamed about it. I hoped for it. <laughs> I prayed for it. <laughs> but um, I was really shocked that we really did it. You know, I was really impressed with us and grateful. And But I, I always knew we could sing. We used to sing at home. We used to sing in church, you know. And... Um, I'd listen to the radio and listen to some of the groups, you know, the Shirelles and the other group, girl groups. And I was saying, I could sing that good. I could sing like them. <laughs> and finally, we got a chance to do it, you know, just like there's so many people. We were lucky. We were very lucky and timing and being ready and, you know, just having our heads on straight when, when the chance came up for us, you know, because you got to be prepared and ready or you miss out on a whole lot of things. And You're we right. ready. Yeah, that's, that's really important. I'll tell you what, Anita, we've got a lot more that we want to talk with you about, including we want to go back and revisit Fairy Tale, but not the song, the book. And we're going to do okay. that in just a minute. But first, it's time for another great fitness tip from Coach Lombardi. Take it away, Coach. All right, Coach.
Thanks, Rosie and Bill. There's a technique I've been using for years that you may or may not have heard of, and it's called eccentric or negative training. Some trainers call it super slow training. Here's what you do. Choose an upper body exercise using just your body weight, like say a push-up or a pull-up, and then choose a lower body exercise like a lunge or a squat. Perform these exercises so that it takes at least 30 seconds to get to the top of the exercise and 30 seconds to get to the bottom of the exercise. Work up to a minute over time, adding about 10 seconds each workout. Repeat these two exercises to exhaustion. Eccentric training will fast track you if you're looking to build mass and strength. Try it out and let us know how it worked for you. I'm Coach Lombardi and back to you guys. Thanks again, Coach. We love your segments. That was super. Uh, Anita, I want to ask you one more question about music before we move on. Back in the 70s and 80s, what was it like to be on the music scene then? And how do you think it compares to the music scene now? And are you happy with how music has evolved? In the 70s and 80s, <clears throat> the music business and the music, um, all the music empires were kind of crazy. <laughs> we did a lot, a lot of fun, crazy stuff. And, you know, I mean, on those tour buses and traveling around in station wagons and singing. I mean, the 70s and 80s were really, really, really a lot of hard, hard work for the Pointer Sisters. It really was. We worked, we had so many shows to do. I, I, my motto was I can always do one more show. And they seemed to never end. You know, and it was the 70s and 80s where it was great music. Oh, I love the music from the 70s and 80s. I really do. Just off the heel of disco, because I love disco still. But um, everybody was going to clubs. They were dancing and big concerts. And whew, it was amazing. It really was. I'm just so glad I had a chance to experience that. I feel so sorry for the kids now that are in the music business and can't do a tour. You can't go to concert. You can't, oh, I would have gone nuts. Cause we were out all the time on the road forever. And, um, and just having a good time. Yeah, and I, I think another thing too, that, <laughs> that, that, that another thing I remember about, um, at least from what people have told me about the seventies and eighties is that, uh, <laughs> can't remember much yeah. um yeah no it's you could count on groups or bands coming out every year with a tour coming out every year with some new music and you you had things to look forward to and i was a big fan of of the philly sound and i recently just watched mm. a, a really powerful documentary on on teddy pendergrass and harold melvin and the blue notes and oh um, wow it's it's, it's a that. really powerful uh you know uh. Um, movie that's out there right now I've got and to check that I, I love the stylistics the even though the ojs yes. are from ohio i consider them part of the philly sound mm -hmm. so you know but yeah that um yeah. that time was was very special and i appreciate what you were saying about the grooves and the sounds and everything mm -hmm. about the music from back then not that you know there is great music out there today yeah it is but there was just something about those days and and just the venues the sounds everything uh-huh, it sure was. It kind of felt new. 
a lot of the music, you know, we're right off of not only disco, but rock and roll, mm -hmm. you know, it just kind of come out there and it was, it was really, I mean, just, I, that's when I really was, me and Bonnie were writing a lot of songs. We wrote about everything around us. <laughs> we lived in a shaky flat in San Francisco, so we wrote a song called Shaky Flat Blues. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it might be a good time, Anita, to talk to you about something else that you've written, and you actually mm. wrote it with your brother Fritz. And yes. it's another fairy tale, but not the song, the book, The Pointer the book. Sisters Family. Hey. There you go. There it yeah, is. Yeah, there it is. And tell I, us about, you told uh, us about the song. Tell us about a, the book. Such a good book. It's so wonderful. It's just a wonderful story about growing up in Oakland in a house with 15 people and <laughs> right <laughs> upstairs and downstairs. And we, we all got along and we all had fun and everything was so organized because my mom and dad were so organized. Oh my goodness. Because um, you, ha you have to be with six kids. You really do. And they were, and we had great times. My cousin, Paul, who lived downstairs, now he was an N NBA player for many years, and he coached. Um, he, he was coach of several teams, but the last oh, one he coached was the Cleveland Cavaliers. Paul Silas, right? Paul Silas, that's my first cousin. And uh, he's retired now. My brother, Aaron, he played pro baseball. He's retired as well, but he's also working with the commission as a commissioner of parks and recreation for Tacoma, Washington. So we all did pretty good. My brother Fritz, who I wrote the book with, he is just so fabulous. Oh my God, he's written several other books. This is not his only book, but I wanted him to help me because <laughs> I knew he knew what to do. <laughs> but, <laughs> But it's a story of us getting along and growing up in Oakland and just experiences we had as kids and as young adults. And it's really interesting and it's great read for right now when your home can't go nowhere in quarantine. So might as well read fairy tale. <laughs> That's so why the name do. fairy tale? Well, it was my first Grammy award winning song and it just meant that much to me. So I, I, I said fairy tale. And I guess a lot of people <laughs> would think that you, that you and your sisters did live in fairy tale, those people who want to make it in the music industry to look at your coming your lives. It's almost like a fairy tale. I can't believe it myself sometimes. I'm like, well, look at what we did. I look back at some of those videos and shows. And you know, I was looking the other day at our video of uh, the Capitol. Fourth of July at the Capitol. Thought about it because of that thing that happened at the Capitol. But um, I pulled that out and it's just so gorgeous. You know, we, we played all over and just had so many wonderful experiences. What are some of the reactions you've heard from people who've read the book? That they love it, that it's a great read and that it should be in every school. Mm -hmm. That's what Kathy told me, yeah. Wow. Yes, that it should be in every school. Yeah, I think that, that's good. about it's as very... good a compliment as you can get, I think, for a book. I'm, I think so. I sure do think so. That's such a fabulous compliment. And I totally agree. <laughs> of course. Well, now, I understand that it took a long time for you to finish the book. Why was it so important to, yeah. you know, to make sure that you did it? It was important because I think our life story is fascinating. 
And it's a lesson to so many young people who want to be in the entertainment business. One thing it teaches you, you got to work your butt off. You can't just slouch around and take things as they come. You got to get out there and hustle. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. We used to walk around San Francisco so much until the trolley car drivers would give us free rides because they'd see <laughs> us every day. <laughs> come on, girls, get on. Well, really, we were walking all the time. We would go around passing out our pictures. We'd say, you're going to like, you're going to want this picture one of these days. Sometimes people didn't want to take it. <laughs> and we would go to the most, we would go to warehouses where people were in there working and pass out our pictures. <laughs> we stopped at the freeway entrances where they were, it was a captive audience because they couldn't go anywhere. They would stop at the light at the, at the freeway at the end of the freeway. And we would stand there and pass our pictures out too. And people would laugh at us, but we didn't care. <laughs> we did not care. <laughs> you literally yeah, pounded you the pavements. We literally pounded the pavement, Rosie. We sure did, I'm <laughs> telling you. It was, we were out there trying to get it, trying to make it happen. And it takes all that, it really does. One thing, Anita, that I just want to throw out there that I'm hearing in so many of the things that you're saying is that in addition to the hard work and the talent, which both are mm -hmm. undeniable, I'm getting like the belief and the confidence that you had in yourself and your sister that you guys had. I mean, that seems just so powerful to me that you truly believed. You didn't just envision it. You All really right. believed that this thing could happen. And to go out there and pass out those pictures that's just a level of believing in yourself that I really think is admirable. It's, it's deep. Yeah, that's what we would do. We sure would. And it, it was admirable. It was really something that we felt we had to do because nobody knew who we were. You know, we're the Pointer Sisters at, at home in church. But that was it. But we wanted to be known and, and you know, have somebody give us a record deal. <laughs> so, so we did everything we could think of to be noticed and I mean, we would dress up when we go out walking too. We'd be dressed. <laughs> Were you walking down the street in high heels? Uh, boots usually, but okay. we would wear high heels too. After we got our record deal, David Rubinson, <clears throat> he got us our first record deal with Blue Thumb Records. And he want, we were dressing in the 40s stuff, just like this picture on Fairy Tale. Mm -hmm. This is our first album cover picture. And that dress on this book, that's on the first album cover was out of the dress was out of my closet it wasn't no stylist coming in telling us what to wear we had our own he said the clothes you guys wear when we have parties bring those clothes and David you know he insisted that we bring those clothes and we look great in them and we brought them and after that David Rubinson wanted us to be in costume all the time. It was driving us nuts because we'd have to go through the airports and people would be looking at us with these high heels. We would wear the high heel shoes then, the platforms through the airport. Oh my goodness, I, my feet were hurting so bad. I got bunions the first tour. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Well, it sounds like he was a master marketer. He was, he really, really was. He was really good for us. He had us go into New York top of the line. I mean, we went in and played Roseland mm -hmm. and that was a show that Stevie came to too. And a lot of the, all the, all the big celebrities in New York came to that show and they had us pull up in a vintage Rolls Royce white. And then they put out the red carpet and we got out of the car and walked on the carpet. And, and the whole theme of the party was the forties. 
So everybody in the audience was dressed like the 40s too. And it was the most incredible show. Oh my goodness, it was so good. And LA, we tore them up too. We came to the Troubadour with uh, Herbie Hancock. We were opening for him. And we also opened for Bill Withers at, oh, the, wow. at the Troubadour. Love him to death. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It sounds like you had a, a great appreciation for like living in the moment of this fairy tale that happened for all of you. Mm -hmm. We did live in the moment. We really did. We tried to do as much as we can at the right time because I think we were very lucky. There's so much great talent out there that never is heard, you know, singers and actors and all, you know, it's just, we were just really, really fortunate that we were at the right place at the right time and we were ready because we were writing songs, me and Bonnie, when we all while we were backup singers, when me and Bonnie were writing songs and we got a, we did get a, a deal where we were singing backup with Elvin Bishop at the Whiskey A Go-Go in LA. Mm -hmm. And Jerry Wexler happened to be in the audience who was Aretha Franklin's producer at the time. And he saw us and he said, I want to sign those girls. He called David Rubinson right away, called him and told David he wanted to sign us. And like the next day, maybe two days after, we were off to New Orleans to work with Wardell Kazare, who was a producer of uh, Mr. Big Stuff, that song that came out with Gene Knight. And um, he, they were all saying, oh, if you could do as good as Mr. Big Stuff, we hope you can do that good. And no, 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 no. But it was amazing because they had us learn like four or five songs in one night. And then we had to go in the studio the next day. Oh my gosh. And we were, yeah, and they wouldn't take any of the songs we had. We had great songs that we had written, songs that we later put on, on our albums, like a song we had from uh, Taj Mahal, Chaney Doo. We put that on our Pointer Sister album. But when we sang them for them in New Orleans, they laughed in our face. <laughs> you guys are so funny, you guys. You know black girls can't sing that kind of music. Because we had country songs and we had other kinds of music. You know, it wasn't all over R&B. We right. had some good little jazz things and they said, uh-uh, nope. You got to sound like the Honeycombs or the Jackson 5. That's all we want. And that's what they did. They, they sent us to Jackson, Mississippi to record. And we recorded, I think, four songs and shoosh, that just went out the window. So they, David Rubinson hated it. And he told us, he said, when we got back to San Francisco, David listened to the tape that they had made of these songs don't try to take the fifth on me and send him back and <laughs> destination, no more heartache. <laughs> David took that tape, was on a reel to reel tape. He took that tape and threw it across his office. He said, this is not what I want for you girls. You are not the ordinary cookie cutter girl group. You know, we were different and he knew that. And we didn't dress alike, you know, and all that stuff that we were doing before we even started the group. We, we were always very fashionable and. He said, no, uh-uh, so he got it. He said, I'm getting you out of this deal. And he did. He got us away from Atlantic Records, which was the first deal for the Pointer Sisters, Anita, Bonnie, and June. And we ended up signing um, shortly after that, when Ruth joined the group, we signed with Blue Thumb Records. And the rest is history. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Looking forward, looking into the future, future generations, what mm -hmm. would you like them to think of or, or see in terms of the legacy of the Pointer Sisters in your music? I'd like for them to see the legacy. I mean, I have an exhibit now at the Hollywood Museum 
we went on a um, went to uh, Roger and Lynn Neal. They have the Oscar parties, and me and Bonnie went to the Oscar party, and we met Donnell Danigan. And we told her I had, you know, things that I wanted to put in the museum. I've been collecting this stuff since the 70s from all the Pointer Sisters clothes. I collected things. And um, Donnell said, let me see what you have. She came to my house and saw what I have and she was blown away. She said, I'll give you the whole second floor of the Hollywood Museum. So we got the whole second floor and it's beautiful. And it was just, it opened uh, in 2019 and then, of course, you know, at the end of 2020, beginning of 2020, everything shut down. So, it's, you know, it's still there. It's a beautiful exhibit. And that's something that kids can see. You know, girls can see how we wore these clothes and their videos, too, along with the clothes that you can watch us in the clothes. And um, just to see that we did a really good thing and encouraged a lot of young women that you can, too. That was our first song. Yes, we can. Mm. And we meant that. We said, David Rubinson, this is the message we want to take to the world. Yes, we can. But, One uh, thing I, yeah. I think that I'm hearing from what you're saying, Anita, is that even though you wrote the book, I still think there are a lot of chapters that you have yet to write in your life, it sounds like. There are. You know, there are things that I, I was thinking about that this morning and how the experiences were when I stayed with my grandma in Arkansas back in the 50s. A whole nother world. It was a whole different world in Oakland, California. And I kind of liked it because it was so strange and so exotic to me. I mean, it, people living with no running water in their house, people living without houses and no, no washing machines, no, you know, just in poverty, a poverty that I'd never seen before. Because I thought we were the poorest people around. We, we were the ones who used to go to the park on Christmas and get the gifts for the needy kids. We were the needy kids and they would give us gifts and I'd be so happy to get that little doll. Oh my goodness. Well, if there's stories still in you, then, uh, you know, as they say, it's, it's good to get them out. And it sounds like you're, uh, you're going to do that. Yeah. I'm thinking about it really, really. I'm thinking about doing, starting another book. Well, we thank you so much for coming on our show and, and sharing your stories and your talent with our viewers and it has been such an honor. Thank you so much, Rosie. Thank you, Bill. It was an honor for me, you know, because I need to talk to people and get this word out there that we have the book. <laughs> we have a book out. <laughs> so I'm glad to do that. And just to talk about the life, you know, that I've lived in this music industry is fascinating. It really is. Well, I'm going to close out, Anita, by saying I asked you what you would like people to look back at in terms of the legacy. I just want to tell you that mm -hmm. from what I can see and what I've known over the years, I think your legacy and the Pointer Sisters legacy is unity, positivity, and fun. And I thank you for all of the above. That's a good way to put it. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Rosie. Oh, it's our pleasure. Bye -bye. Thank you, Anita. And thank you, Roxy, behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, she's there. <laughs> Folks, thanks for tuning in. Yes. Folks, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Bye -bye.